We're in a series in the book of Joshua, and the book of Joshua is about this one central promise, which arguably is the promise of the whole of the Bible. The unfailing promise of God is that He will always be with you. Now, when I say that by itself, it doesn't really sound that earth-shattering. But when you think about the fact that God, who created heaven and earth, came to earth, Jesus Christ, to dwell with His people, to deliver us not only from the waywardness of our situations, but the waywardness and the treachery and the fierce rebellion against God that exists in all of our hearts. It's a pretty amazing promise. I will be with you always. So now we come to Joshua chapter 3. You've seen in Joshua chapter 1 this unfailing promise that I will be with you. And therefore, you do not sit passive and idly by. You go and you cross the river over into the land that I'm giving you. You saw in Joshua chapter 2 a number of weeks ago that indeed the city will be given to them. You saw that through the spies going into the city with Rahab and the promise that the Lord will protect Rahab and her family. And then you come to Joshua chapter 3 where they stay at the edge of the Jordan River about to cross over. And then this is what we read. Would you please stand as we give our attention to God's Word, His infallible, beautiful, precious Word. Joshua chapter 3. And then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the time of, at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about 100 yards. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come and hear and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of his, the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. 
and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its bank throughout the time of harvest. When the waters coming down from above stood and they rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan and those flowing down toward the sea of Arabah, the salt sea were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. And now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated, please. Let's ask the Lord to help us as we look together at his word. It's a long passage. Refocus with me. Read along with this passage if you need to, to stay focused on the narrative of Joshua chapter three. But let me pray for us. Father, would you now take your word and would you massage it into our hearts? Bring out the principles and the truth. And foremost, would you bring out the beauty and the work of Jesus, the greater Joshua? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me get right to the point. The purpose of Joshua chapter 3 is that the Lord brings Israel across the river in the face of their complete helplessness. The Lord brings Israel across the river in the face of their complete helplessness. You hear two parts of the sermon when I say that phrase. The Lord brings Israel and us across the river in the face of their and our complete helplessness. Our complete helplessness, the Lord brings us across the river. Those are the two points of the sermon. Our complete helplessness, number one. You remember from Joshua chapter 2, or if you know the story and you weren't here several weeks ago, the Israelites are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They are waiting to cross over the Jordan. And they know, they know because of what Rahab has told them about their people fearing all of Israel and the God of Israel. They know that they will no doubt take that city, the city of Jericho. But what they do not know and what they are not so sure about is the river. Now this river, friends, was not like Bird Creek meandering through the county. This river was a river that flowed. In some places in the river valley, the river valley was anywhere from four to a mile, four, uh, 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 400 yards to a mile wide in parts. And there's this very interesting parenthetical comment in verse 15, isn't there? You heard it when I read the passage and paused. It says, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. Now, why would, they, why would they note that the river that Israel is about to cross 
is at as high a tide as it possibly can be during that time of year. It's late April. It's harvest time. The river is coming. All the tributaries are flowing into the river from all the snow-capped mountains of Lebanon. And the river is as wide at that point as it ever will be. Why would they make that parenthetical comment? Because the Lord wants to remind Israel that up against that river, no, not just the river that has fords all down it where you can cross easily. He wants to remind the million men of Israel, not counting women and children who are on the eastern side of the Jordan. I want you to cross that river. Oh, and by the way, it's at flood stage. Which means that the moment you put your toe in that river, you would fall three to 12 feet into that river. And the way the valley, right, the Jordan Valley is riveted out, is you can tell if you go there today that though the river itself during the rest of the year is easily fordable, it is easily crossable, when it's in flood stage, it fills the entire valley up. And the Lord doesn't just say, oh, by the way, it's going to be at flood stage. But what does Joshua command the people to do? They're on the eastern side of the Jordan, and he says to them, listen, I want you to prepare to go over the Jordan River, but I want you to wait for three days. <laughs> Why do you think he wanted them to wait for three days? Because Joshua, the Lord, through Joshua, wanted his people to stare that river in the face. And they wanted to recognize their complete and their utter helplessness. Do you know what it's like to be helpless? Have you ever been helpless? Do you know what it's like to not know what to do? One of the interesting things that many people told me is that once you pastor a church for several years, um, you, you begin to see the faces of the people in your congregation differently. And after being your pastor for five, a little more than five years now, you know me and I know you. And therefore I know your stories. And many of you know my own. And when I look at you, I don't just see your faces. When I look at many of you, I see the pain and the helplessness of your situations. I know some of you are trapped in the midst of relationships where people's marriages around you are falling apart. And they are looking to you to fix it. Or maybe they're running from you because they don't want you to try to intervene and to allow the gospel to take root in that other marriage's life. I know your stories. I know the pain. Since some of you are looking for a church and you just don't know where to go, you feel helpless looking for where it is that you're going to settle. Listen, the Lord moves in our lives when we are helpless. The river for you is at flood stage. And he's making you wait for three days and stare it in the face because he wants you to show you how much he loves you. And he wants you to recognize that when you are helpless, that is the first stage of actually getting the help. This text really can be read on two levels when you think about your helplessness. The first level is the level of your own situations. 
Some of you are in financial duress. Some of you really feel helpless relative to what you were before the economy downturned in 2009. And you're just now trying to pick yourself back up as it were. Some of you feel helpless with raising your children and you need the covenant community of faith to help you. Those who've gone on before you to help you with wisdom and advice, those who can help see through God's word the best ways to pray and care for and love your kids during a very difficult time. Some of you are helpless in your particular situation. And I want you to know that the Lord is not freaking out. He's with you. In fact, I dare say that the Lord is actually allowing you to face the river for three days, to see it at flood stage, so that you will know that it is the Lord who carries Israel across the river in our complete helplessness. And for some of us, our situations actually are quite favorable right now. They're great. But our problems with our helplessness are not external. They're actually internal. They're the helplessness of our own hearts. They're the waywardness of our own thinking. They're the treachery of our own rebellion against God in our hearts. The Lord wants you to know that when you look at the rivers of your life, whatever that might possibly be, whether it be your situation or it be the greater river of your life, the river of sin, the Lord is with you. And it is he and he alone who will carry you across the river but he cannot carry you across the river until you first what? You recognize your utter sense of helplessness. And it is the Lord. It is the Lord who wants to invite you into confession of sin, not just corporately as we have done, but intense and privately. So that you move into what we often say around here is the way forward in the Christian life, and that is repentance. Friends, repentance is not just some tool that you use once you become a Christian to get back and be right with Jesus again. Repentance is the way forward. During the whole of your Christian life, and so therefore, it is incumbent upon you when you face the river to be able to say, though I am helpless, I know the way forward is not just through my situations, although the Lord is with you in those, but it is to examine the treacheries and the rebellion of God in your hearts and to come again to the joy of repentance. That is how he begins to help you cross over the river. Do you know this parenthetical comment? It's so interesting. When he's giving you this story, he stops right in the middle of the story. And he says, oh, by the way, the river's at flood stage. Do you, ever, do you know why it is never a good, this is why it's always better to watch movies on Netflix. Because you know when you watch shows on TV, like you get right to the climax of the TV show and right before the climax, right before they're gonna kiss, tied to wash your clothing, <laughs> you know, or Coke, you know, or McDonald's. It's like they break the action. That's exactly what they do here. He breaks the action to heighten the sense of tension in the, reading the story of Joshua chapter 3. To help you stare it in the face. To just see how utterly helpless Israel and we are. In the face of the obstacles and of the rivers in our own life. Israel couldn't cross the river. It was impossible to cross it. 
As I mentioned earlier, that at some points when you first step into the river, you would fall three to 10 feet down. So there was no this ginger, let's just put our foot in the water. You would fall into it. And this river was said places it fell 40 feet over the course of a mile, which means that it's flowing, folks. It's going down 1,300 feet until you get to the Dead Sea. It is not some quiet tributary or stream. It is impossible to get in. When I was in college, um, I worked one summer as a counselor up at Branson at Kanakuk. And as a camp counselor, I was what they call a dock daddy. That is, that I, my job was to drive boats all summer and teach all these kids how to water ski. It was a great job. I loved it. It was so much fun. Except there was one problem, and that the camp was right on the edge of the Tanicomo River, which if you know anything about the geography of Branson, you know that the Tanicomo is really a lake that looks like a river, and it flows from the bottom waters, the tail waters of Table Rock Lake. So the Table Rock Dam opens up and all of the cold water at the bottom of the lake rushes into Tanicomo. And when you get into Lake Tanicomo, every first year camper, we love to say, oh, you're first, jump in. They had no idea that it was like being sucker punched when you jumped into that water because in the heat of the Missouri summers, Tanicomo would still be 48 degrees Fahrenheit. And we had to spend the entire afternoon giving away every dessert that we possibly had access to as counselors to get these kids to get in the water to ski. Listen, the River Jordan couldn't be crossed. It was far too wide. It was far too great. Have you ever felt helpless? When you begin, when you begin, to despair of your solutions to crossing that river. And when you begin to recognize that it is only in your helplessness that you can be helped, then, then you finally are in the position to see that it is only the Lord who can take you across. Any of you there in your own situation outside of your own heart? You were all there within your heart because treachery and rebellion are what are the default actions of our life. And until you stop thinking about how you're gonna blow up those, platoon, those pontoon boats to get you across, you are to stare that river in the face and you are to say, I am totally helpless. First thing that the Lord wants to show us in Joshua chapter three is your utter and your complete helplessness. The second thing is he wants to show you the way out. How do you see God's might and his power in the midst, in the face of your utter and your complete helplessness? You see that it is the Lord who brings us across the river. And he accomplishes this in three ways. The first way is he gives us perspective on our situations. Verses one to three are all about the ark. Now the ark was a rectangular box about the size of a cedar chest. The first verses of this chapter are all about the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And it was the Ark, it was the Levites who were to go before the people and they were to go 2,000 cubits or 1,000 meters in front of the people and they were to march up to the river. And when you read this text, you're like, why would the Lord 
called them to walk so far in front of all the people. And when you think about it, the answer is that if you were to walk closer than that and you had a throng of people, a million men strong, and the ark were to be closer to you, just in front of the front row, what would happen to the people in the back? They couldn't see the ark. The ark represents the Lord's presence himself. The ark for us is the picture of Jesus, the presence of the Lord. And therefore, the Lord says to Joshua, you command the Levites to take the ark a thousand yards ahead of you. So that as you're walking down the valley toward that river, every man, woman, and child walking down that valley can keep their eyes on the ark. Because the Lord wants to give you perspective on your situation. That it is Jesus who goes before you because this ark is just a symbol of your Savior. It is Jesus who goes before you into that river. It is Jesus who goes before you to lead his church, his people across sin and death. And every man, woman, and child going down the the Jordan Valley would be able to see the ark, the presence of the Lord himself. And they would be able to see what happens when they, by faith, can you imagine being a Levite carrying this ark? And they step into the river and there are a million plus people behind looking on. The Lord says, as Brad read earlier in the service, that we are to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because it's for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Friends, the first step in your helplessness, if you're to cross the river, is to fix your eyes on Jesus, is to see him, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the symbol in the Old Testament of the Lord's presence, Jesus Christ himself being the ark of the new, going before you, leading you, stepping into the river to lead you across it. Do you see him? He's there. And the reason why you're in the situation that you're in right now, however varied it might be if we were to swap stories across this room, is because Jesus wants you to have perspective. And he wants, you to remind, he wants to remind you that in your helplessness, Jesus is with you. And he is not absent. He is leading you across that great river. For without Jesus, you would certainly be swept away. Without Jesus leading you, your pontoon boats would not make it across. He is the only way across the ark, across the river. He's the ark that steps into this river at flood stage after looking at it and wandering for three days. And when he steps into the river, the river stops. The first thing in the midst of your helplessness that you need to do is to fix your eyes upon your Savior. When you're helpless, then you can be helped. The second thing that Joshua tells his people, it's in verse five. It says, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. If the first is to have perspective on your situation, the second, as I've heard one preacher say, is the preparation of consecration. The preparation of consecration. Now, all through the Old Testament, there were times when people prepared for great works and acts of God. Sometimes they washed their clothing differently. Please hear me. Sometimes that they abstained from food or sexual relations for a number of days before some big event happened. But here Joshua says, I want you to consecrate yourself. I want you to stare that river in the face. 
And I want you again to be reminded in your utter helplessness that it is the Lord who helps you. I want you to deflate your pontoon boats by which you plan to get over that river. And I want you to say to the Lord, I am helpless without you. Perspective on your situation, a a preparation for your consecration. And then thirdly, what does he say? The Lord says that I am with you. He says, I am with you. And the way that he reminds us of this is through the image of the ark. And he heaps preposition upon preposition when he describes the ark here. He says, it is the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. It's the ark of the covenant, which means that God has bound himself by a promise to his people. And God has bound himself to that promise at the cost of his own son. And please hear me in the midst of your situations that you have in your mind. If God promises to be with you in the midst of your situation, whatever it may be, and it cost him his son, do you think he will abandon you now? He's with you. He is the God of the Ark of the Covenant. And his unfailing promise to his people is that I will be with you. It's not just the Ark of the Covenant. It's the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It is the Lord who is God, not you. What that means for us very practically is that it is the Lord who is building this church, friends. It is not me. It is not you. It is the Lord who is building this church. And he intends to build it according to the way he commands. And he intends to move you out into obedience to his word. How? Through the way that he clearly commands. He wants you to recognize that he is the Lord. And when you're in the midst of your situation and you don't really understand why he's calling you to, you know what he is calling you to do? He's calling you to obey his word. Not so that he will love you more, but because of whose you are to become like he has called you to be. It is the Ark of the Covenant. It is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And it is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Of all the earth. The people in Jericho who are watching over their walls of this incredible feat, their God is a God of, called Baal. And you know that the God of Baal, of the many things that he is the God of, he's the God of water. And here the, God of Jer- the people of Jericho are watching Israel begin to ford this river that they see is at flood stage. Ha ha! It's at flood stage. Our God Baal is filling up the waters to protect us in our city. And they're waiting. They're giving pause. Ah, they're getting scared. They're waiting across the river. Aha. And maybe the people in Jericho have this heightened sense of confidence. And it is the Lord of all the earth saying, you know what? It isn't Baal who controls the water. It is I am who controls the water. It reminds me of the time that Jesus in Mark 10 was going on before his people. And the people who were following Jesus, they were amazed at what he could do. And some feared. 
And can you imagine being numbered among the Israelites, watching these Levitical priests step into the river by faith? And all of a sudden, the river stops. And all the river downstream begins to flow downstream into the Red Sea. And there's no water coming from upstream. Wouldn't that be amazing? All the commentators of Joshua 3 that I've read in the past weeks to get ready for this passage, all of them, it's as though they cannot put it down. All of them talk about the geography of the Jordan River Valley. And all of them mention, and undoubtedly this is true, because there are records of great earthquakes happening in the Jordan River. All of them talk about how the Jordan River sets at a fault line where there are great tectonic plates. But I want you to know something. Joshua chapter three never mentioned secondary causes. It is the Lord who stops the water. And he does it in the midst of our utter and our complete helplessness. He is the Lord of all of the earth. He is the Lord of your particular situation. He is the Lord, if you're a Christian, He is the Lord of your heart. And so we need to stand amazed again and again about how Jesus, our great high priest, steps into the water and the water stops. I heard this week the story of um, the Texas Rangers down in South Texas, that whenever a Texas Ranger wanted to have a recommendation of him given, the best thing that one Ranger could say about another Texas Ranger is that he will ride the river with you. He will ride the river with you. Oh, he has all these years of experience, but I just wanna say one thing, that guy, that guy will get on his horse and he will ride the river with you. And here, friends, in Joshua 3, although it's in the Old Testament, you have a picture of Jesus, the Ark of the Covenant, moving into the waters, and the waters stop. Jesus will ride the river with you, friends. He is with you in your situation. He loves you more than you can fathom. And he wants you to know, I have not left you. Even though the river's at flood stage, even though you have looked at this river for three days, oh, he rides the river with you. Where did he ride that river with you? He rode that river with you at the cross. Do you remember in... Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3, where Jesus is baptized. And Jesus comes out of that Jordan River, the same river, not far from where they crossed. And when he comes out of the river, what happens? The Lord looks at Jesus and says, this is my servant with whom I am well pleased. And here, Jeric here all of Jericho is watching Israel cross the river. And what would they say? but mighty is our God. When Jesus 
who is our older brother, represents us before the Father right now. The Father looks at us and he says, look at my children with whom I'm well pleased, every one of them. And what an amazing opportunity we have to follow Jesus as he rides the river with us. And in our helplessness, before our neighbors, before our children, before our spouse, to recognize that Jesus gives you perspective on your situation, that it's Jesus who gives you the time to prepare to be consecrated for him, that it is Jesus who is always with you to ride the river with you because he loves you. Do you know him? If you do not know him, then the river will certainly sweep you away. If you do not trust in his finished work for you, no size of a pontoon boat will get you across that river. It is his finished work for you that we see sealed for us on the cross. For Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way that we too, like those Israelites, will cross over the river of sin and death on dry ground. That is amazing. Do you know him? See your Savior crossing that river for you. He is the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. And he wants you to rest in your helplessness as you look to him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as your people, you would help us to find you beautiful amidst our helplessness, to look to you to gain perspective, to fix our eyes upon you, to see that at the cross, there at the cross, the river dried up and you paved a way for us to cross because of your finished work on dry ground. So Father, in our helplessness, would you remind us that you're with us and would you show us the victory that we have in Christ, the victory over sin and death, the victory one day, someday we pray when you come again to make all things new over all that so ravages the earth by sin. And until then, Father, would you help us to be your people who know that we are strong when we are weak. Oh, Father, we pray that you will show yourself to be even more beautiful to us through the work of Christ our Lord, your great ark, your great presence in our midst. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.